series through the Gospel of Matthew. So this is message number 31 in this series. And the title of this message is Repentance Like a Bad Penny. Matthew chapter 12, we'll be looking at verses 38 to 50, and so that will be the rest of this chapter. I'll read verses 38 and 39 to get started. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, the sign of the prophet Jonah. So, in chapter 12, verses 15 to 37, which we looked at last time, it's a large passage, but it centers around the Pharisees' rejection of Jesus and their blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And now this passage in in Matthew was set up by the Sabbath controversies that opened the chapter, and particularly the Pharisees' counsels of how they were um, to go about killing Jesus Uh, Matthew was careful to frame the rejection of Christ as the fulfillment of Scripture and not as any sort of failure of the Messianic mission. Now the crowds seemed like that they were at least somewhat still skeptical about Jesus and we know again from the previous chapter that they had not repented even though there were large crowds that had followed him around, many of them having been healed. They definitely benefited from his, from his miracles. And they, they'd experienced, even Matthew said, a, a majority of miracles that Jesus had done. And so they followed him around, but still had not repented in the main. Now the Pharisees responded to the skepticism of the crowds as they started to ask, you know, is this the son of David or is this not the son of, of David? And they, had, they respond to this with just an alarming blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They knew the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah was prophesied to be filled with the Spirit of God when he came. And they believed Jesus to be filled with a spirit, but they believed him to be filled with the spirit of Satan, and so they rejected Jesus as Messiah. Now, of course, they could not deny his power. They could not deny the great miracles that he had done, so they had to explain it in some other way, and they attributed it to the power of Satan. Of course, Jesus rebuked them, and he warned them uh, about this sin that had no forgiveness, no forgiveness then and no forgiveness in the Messianic kingdom to come. He warned that at the final judgment, every trifling word that they spoke would be judged, and they would be condemned because their words were the fruit of their hearts, which were evil. Now, rejection continues throughout the rest of chapter 12, and so Matthew has... Uh, a couple of interactions left to recount before he begins the next large section of teaching. And this theme of rejection um, continues here as we have an interaction with the Pharisees and then an interruption by his family. Jesus continued to emphasize that that generation of Israel to whom he came was an evil generation. And this is because of their rejection of the Messiah, which showed the condition of their hearts. And so much like that generation of Israel that came out of Egypt and later died in the wilderness because of unbelief. So we want to look at these um, last two episodes, verses 38 to 45, where Jesus speaks about the sign of Jonah that would be given to that generation, and verses 46 to 50, 
um, where Jesus talks about who is in his family. So, in verse, uh, beginning with verse number 38. Then certain of the scribes of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Now, I, I think it's necessary to just point out that there's no special significance to this word that you see here, certain. Uh, sometimes I've, I've heard some try to, to go to great lengths to make some, some special meaning, out, you know, this word certain that, that, that pops up. And it's actually somewhat ironic um, that the English word certain is used as a translation here because the underlying word is indefinite. I mean, it, it's, its meaning is indefinite. So Matthew is simply noting that there's a group of some scribes and, and Pharisees. He's, he's not pointing out that it was particular scribes and Pharisees um, or anything like that, but, but it was scribes and Pharisees. That's, that's what's important. Uh, that's who made up this um, certain or really just some of those that asked Jesus this question. Now the word they use for master is a word that, me that means teacher. Um, and really it's not admitting anything by them um, by that use of that term. Because Jesus certainly was a teacher. He had disciples. Uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that they thought he was right or he was the right or best teacher. Um, but he was a teacher with disciples. So it's, it's a care, probably a carefully chosen term. And it's not, again, it's not really admitting anything in particular other than just um, the fact that Jesus was a, a teacher with disciples. But they request to see a sign from him. And by requesting a sign, they are requesting some sort of signifying miracle from Jesus. So they weren't asking for just anything. They weren't asking for just um, some sort of, of a miracle. And in fact, in Luke's account of, of this um, interaction, Luke noted that they asked for a sign from heaven. Uh, Luke chapter 16 and verse number 11. Now the importance of that is, is that it seems like they were asking for some sort of apocalyptic sign in the heavens, like some of those that was prophesied in the Old Testament in connection with the coming of the Messiah and his kingdom. So just one instance, Joel chapter 2, verses 30 to 31. We looked at not too off long ago in Sunday school. Um, Joel writing, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Now remember that Jesus had already spoken about John the Baptist and how if they would receive it. This is Elijah uh, who was to come before that great terrible day of the Lord. And so the, these Pharisees are asking Jesus, show us one of those, one of those signs. If, if the, the coming of the, the Messiah and the coming of the day of the Lord is to, is to be um, uh, attended with these apocalyptic signs in the heavens, then, then show us that. Now, later Jesus will refer to such signs uh, again when he's talking um, with his disciples and his disciples that asked him about the signs of his coming. So like in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 and 30, um, Jesus said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 
So them asking this question is asking Jesus for that sort of a sign, which shows us that on the one hand, they are very well acquainted with Old Testament prophecy. And in fact, the mention of the scribes there, many of the scribes were Pharisees, though not all of them were. The scribes were, the, were at the very least were the professional copyists of the law, though these scribes are probably more likely uh, more important scribes than just the copies of the law at this point. That's probably how they started. Um, but they most likely would have been um, teachers in, in some capacity of the law, maybe even, uh, maybe even those that were giving expert witness in, in cases that, that came before um, the Sanhedrin and, and things like that. So nevertheless, they're, they're very well acquainted with the Old Testament prophecy. So, so their question shows us that. It's a very shrewd question. It also shows us, though, that they don't understand all of the Old Testament prophecy that they actually are very acquainted with the words of because this was, this was not that. He said, if you would receive it, then John was Elijah who would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. But they didn't receive it. And that's the whole point that Matthew has been making repeatedly. They had not received it. That's the point Jesus was making when he said that about John. They had not received it. And so this was not the, the herald of the coming of the day of the Lord. In other words, this was not the time for those kind of signs. So they were asking, in effect, for something more. In other words, the fact that they asked for a sign, it seems almost absurd. Because Jesus, how many sign miracles had Jesus worked at this, at this point? Um, but they're asking for something more, something different, something beyond. And so it also shows us in their question that they understood very well what the claims were. In other words, they understood very well what John, what his apostles, what Jesus himself said about who he was. They understood that he was claiming to be the son of, of David, the, the son of man, the son of God. He was claiming to be the Messiah, the one who was promised to come. They understood that those were the claims. And they were asking for signs that should accompany that, that it be true. Verse 39. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jesus refuses to grant their request. He's not going to show them an apocalyptic sign in the heavens. And he countered their request by noting that it's an evil and an adulterous generation that seeks signs. Now, these terms, evil and adulterous generation were continually used to describe Israel in unbelief and rebellion against God, as well as their idolatrous worship of false gods. And you can see uh, places like Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 10, Hosea chapter 7, verses 13 to 16, Isaiah chapter 57, verses 3 to 8. And, and on and on and on, you can see references to, to Israel this way. And so Jesus is certainly likening this generation but the, but the reality is that this particular generation is worse than all of those that had come before because they were rejecting the very Son of God and were about to kill Him. Jesus said that the only sign that they would be given was the sign 
of the prophet Jonah. Now, it's worth noting that Jonah was the only prophet of Israel who was sent specifically to a Gentile nation. Now, let's continue on here in verse number 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus is now explaining the sign of Jonah that will be given to that generation. And essentially, he quotes a part of Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 17. Now, the word for whale that's used here doesn't necessarily mean whale as, as we think of a whale today. Um, the word certainly could mean that. It, it indicates a, a great fish, some great large creature of the sea. And really what the animal was is not important to, to Jesus' point. Rather, the sign has to do with the fact that Jonah was in the belly of this beast for three days and three nights, and that was a sign to Nineveh. That is Jesus' point. And Jesus said that this sign would be given to that generation. Now, when you read the book of Jonah, and you read Jonah chapter 2 in particular, Jonah chapter 2 describes his experience um, being swallowed by this great fish. And in, in speaking of his time inside of this fish, Jonah uses language and imagery of death and the grave to describe it. In fact, Jonah chapter 2 could very well come from the Psalms. It's in the way that it, that it describes and uses this type of imagery. And so Jonah also, invoking that, that sort of imagery, Jonah also experienced a resurrection, at, at, least, at least in a figure when the fish spits him up on the land. And by this, Jesus is clearly referring to his own death and resurrection is the sign that will be given to this generation. Now later when Jesus would speak of his death, because he doesn't really start speaking of it openly quite yet, but later when he starts speaking of his death, numerous times he's going to mention three days in connection with his death and resurrection. Uh, chapter 16, verse 21, chapter 17, verse 23, chapter 27 and verse 40. Uh, again, in, in verses 63 to 64, and some of that is reported about what he said, not him actually speaking it at the time there in, in chapter 27. But nevertheless, Jesus, as he spoke about his death, several times came back to this three days. And, and he makes this connection here in, in what he's saying about the sign of Jonah. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So, Jesus had just said that the Son of Man, which is that Old Testament messianic title we've talked about a number of times, we've encountered it in Matthew, the one who receives the kingdom on earth from the Father in heaven. He says, we'll be in the earth like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And now he's explaining the significance of this comparison. The men of Nineveh, of course, they were Gentiles. They, they, were, they were of Assyria. They, they were, uh, but they repented in a response to the preaching of Jonah. And, and there it is, isn't it? That repentance. It's just like the bad penny that keeps turning up. 
And as we keep going, going through this section, you notice it just, we just keep coming back to it. It just keeps coming up as Jesus is speaking to those who are rejecting him. Why? Because repentance, it is the key issue. Because that generation did not repent, except for just a very small remnant, which was also the case throughout much of their history. But without repentance, there is no salvation. And so this, Jesus keeps pressing this point in these interactions. Jesus pointed out how these Gentiles responded and, and the fact that they responded at this sign of Jonah, this preaching of Jonah, and there is one in their midst so much greater than the prophet Jonah. And he has come to them in that generation. And of course the point is, and for all that, they still had not repented. And are standing here essentially saying, we, we're not going to believe unless you show us a sign that we're satisfied with. And he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up in, in the judgment and condemn you. Because something so much greater has been given to you than was given to them. And yet... They responded, and they repented, and you have not. Verse 42, the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus now adds another illustration to this same point. He's, he's condemning that unrepentant generation. He refers to this queen of the south, this queen of, of Ethiopia that journeyed to meet Solomon and to hear his wisdom back in 1 Kings chapter uh, 10. So she went to all of the trouble and all of the expense and all of the time, all of the bother to travel all the way to hear Solomon. And she received his words as truth. But the Pharisees, instead, if we think back, especially over the, the last few sections that we have looked at leading up to this here tonight, the Pharisees are continually searching for reasons to reject Jesus and, and even to kill him. Whereas she searched out the wisdom of Solomon and received his words. And Jesus says, one so much greater than Solomon is in your midst. Jesus is wiser than Solomon. Jesus is a greater wisdom teacher than Solomon. And he told, he told them the way of life, but they rejected it. And they rejected him. So Jesus says, likewise, this other Gentile, this queen from Ethiopia, she will rise up and will condemn this generation because she went to go hear a mere Solomon and one so much greater is in their midst. Then we come to verse 43. Or, um, yes, verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. So in verses 43 to 45, Jesus is essentially using a, a parabolic type saying 
to illustrate the condition of that generation. Now, and we're going to get a lot of experience with, with parables uh, here very shortly because the, they many of them begin in chapter number 13. But when we come to parables, there's, there's, no, there's no reason or, or need for us to try um, to, to take every little thing that is said and, and, and try to find some sort of secret code that, that's being, um, you know, being given in, in this parable. The meaning of, of these parables is, is plain enough, and many of them have some sort of explanation that is given, and, and this one does. So the, the parabolic saying essentially follows a demon um, that has gone out of a man and is seeking other places. And of course, uh, that certainly would be within the character that, that we are presented to be on, uh, to be on guard against Satan and, the, and, the, and demons as they are um, continually seeking whom they may devour. Verse 44, Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. So, uh, you know, use again, in a parable, so this demon has gone out of this man, and, and of, of which he just thinks of that as his house. That's his abode. That's his place of dwelling. And he, and he went out, seek, presumably, seeking for better places, um, couldn't find a better place, and so decides, well, I'll go back um, to, um, to my house. And he comes back, but he finds the house different. He, he, finds, it, he finds it cleaned out. He finds it... Um, uh, you know, being swept and garnished and such. In other, in other words, it's, it's more accommodating um, than it was uh, even before for him. And so in verse 45, Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also under this wicked generation." So he, he finds this house more spacious, more inviting, more accommodating, um, and so goes out and finds seven uh, more evil spirits, and, and they all come together and they possess this house to inhabit it, this, this person. Now the point of the parable, again, it's clear. The last condition is worse than the first. The man is worse off than he was before when he was just merely possessed by one devil. Now that's that's the point. He did some he did some cleanup work, as it were, but he ended up in worse shape than than what he was. And Jesus brings this home. Even so, shall it also be unto this wicked generation. So what is what is Jesus telling them by this? He's saying it's the same for this generation of Israel that has rejected Jesus. This generation that would not repent they would lose what they had in Israel and they would be even further from the kingdom than they were right then. And of course, the judgment that would come on them in 70 AD would destroy Jerusalem and the temple and would, would scatter them once, once again among the nations, even those few that had um, returned and been there for uh, a few centuries. So in other words, they're, they're going to be even worse off after rejecting Jesus than what they were before. And Jesus has somewhat turned the tables on them. They, they accused him of working with the power of Satan. And, and he's, at least in this parables, indicating that, that they're in fact influenced by Satan and by the evil spirits. Just as uh, we'll, we'll see in, in parables later. But 
Um, Paul also picked up on the fact in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 4, when he was talking about the ministry of, of him and, and his fellow laborers, he said, we're, we're preaching the gospel plainly there in 2 Corinthians 4. And he said, if, if that gospel is hidden from someone, it's hidden because they're lost. It's hidden because their minds have been blinded and they are deceived by Satan, who, like the birds of the air, snatches away the good seed when it is, when it is sown. And so that, in effect, is what Jesus is saying about this evil generation. Their minds are blinded by the working of Satan. And they're accusing Jesus of working by the power of Satan. But yet they're rejecting him, actually, by the power of Satan. And again, their, their, their condition after rejecting Jesus will be worse than, than what it was before he came. Now we go to the second episode um, it, where Jesus speaks about who is in his family. Verse 46, While he yet talked to the people... Behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. So this interaction section comes down to this last little episode. And it's, it's sort of an interesting little episode. And, you, you know, we might be wondering, like, why, why is this here? What's this got to do with anything? Um, so Jesus' mother and his brothers, they attempt to see him. Um, but they're unable because the crowd of the people that is pressed around him, they, they can't get to him. And Jesus gives a, a, a response that is, is somewhat surprising um, to their coming. So uh, verse 47 says, Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. And so somehow um, Jesus is surrounded by this great crowd and this great press of people. And so his, his family is not able to get to him, to um, talk with him. And so somehow message is, is conveyed through this crowd that they're standing without. And Jesus responds here in verse 48. He says, But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers or my brethren? So Jesus asks, Well, who, who is my mother? Who is, who is my mother? brother and the question had to have puzzled those that were around him and that could hear this response um it's clear i believe from the context that he's not here disparaging his his earthly family um he, he's making a point to those that are within the sound of his voice and not only that He's speaking as the Son of God. And that becomes clear as we, we look by the end. Verse 49 says, And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. So Matthew notes that he motions toward his disciples, toward his apostles. And he told this multitude, this crowd that is, that's pressed around so much that his family can't get access to him, he, he points to them and he tells them, Behold, my mother and brothers. In other words, he's indicating that the believing disciples were his family. Or we could say they are in close relationship with him. And then we get verse number 50. 
For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus now explains what he meant by this strange response that he gave to his family showing up and wanting to see him. And he says that those who do the Father's will, my Father in heaven, are those who will be his close family. Now, he refers to his Father in heaven. We made note of this before um, as we've been studying in Matthew. This is a claim of, of deity. Uh, this is a claim that very much angered um, the Pharisees for him to make because he's, they said he, he's making himself equal with God to, to say God is my Father, that I am the Son of, of God. But Jesus says that, that those who do his Father's will... So what does that mean? What does it mean to do the Father's will? What is Jesus talking about here? Well, Jesus actually has already made a very similar statement. He's, he's made this very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, toward the end, Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 21 to 23, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You, in essence, you do not have a relationship with me. So depart from me. It doesn't matter what works you've done. It doesn't matter what great things that, that you can boast of. And Jesus doesn't seem to be taking up an in, in issue of whether or not they've done this work or that work or, or whatever work that they've done. Jesus, Jesus says what it all comes down to is I, I don't know you. I never knew you. you. You are not in relationship with me. So depart. You are workers of iniquity. And then, as you keep on reading in Matthew 7, Jesus said that doing, he had already said that doing the Father's will was the difference between entering the kingdom or being cast into everlasting punishment. And he says in Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Now, when we were studying the Sermon on the Mount a while ago, we noted how that Jesus claimed divine right as lawgiver and clearly said that his commands must be obeyed. And he equated his commands with the will of his Father in heaven. So what is Jesus saying? Who is it that is his family? Who is it that he knows? Who is it that is in relationship with him? Well, it's those that obey his words. It's the same thing as doing the Father's will from heaven. So as we think about this passage, the end of the end, we've had 
uh, a series of interactions and some controversies, and we see this we see this opposition that is increasing toward Jesus, and and we know that that they have rejected him, and it's it's just sort of a a matter of time and finding the ways and means before um, that that's going to become uh, essentially the whole of of Israel to reject him to his crucifixion. Notice how that Jesus exposed how that the Pharisees were not seeking an apocalyptic sign from Jesus because they were believing or because they were really seeking after truth. You know, Jesus, we would like to believe that you're the Messiah. You, you seem to have some good, good points in your favor. But we're just going to need to see a couple of things. We're, we're going to need to see, you know, the, the, the sun be darkened, the moon turn to blood. We're going to need to see some stuff going on with the stars. We're just going to need to see some signs in order to... And, and then we're going to believe. Well, Jesus exposes that, that that's not at all what's going on here. It's rather the opposite. They're unbelieving. And, and just given some, you know, experience, um, things that I have seen in life, had Jesus gave them these signs, they would have, they would have wanted something else. They'd have wanted something different. There'd have been, there'd have been something else to complain about. Why? Because they weren't believing. They weren't repented. They didn't have faith. So Jesus exposes that they're not asking to, to see this because, you know, they're, they're just sort of on the, the fence. You know, they're, they're, they're at that crucial moment of decision and they just need some little nudge that's going to get them over the line. That's not, that's not it at all. People that are asking and seeking those kind of signs are unbelieving and that is the problem. This word, this is the record that God has given us of His Son, Jesus Christ. And this word is what must be believed if we are to be saved. Wanting and seeking something more is a sign of demonic blindness to the truth, not a search for truth. And it, it reminded me of, of um, Luke 16. When Jesus spoke about the beggar Lazarus and, and the rich man, and, and you know how that you come toward the end and, and, and the rich man, he's been tormented. He woke up in hell and he's tormented in these, in these never-ending flames. He's thirsty and, and, and he wants just a, a, a drop of water um, to cool his tongue, but that, that can't be given and it wouldn't, it wouldn't help him anyway. Um, and and then, he, then he pleads with Abraham saying, you know, I've got others, I've got brothers, and I, I don't want them to come to this place. And so raise up Lazarus and send him to them that he can give them warning so they won't come here. And Abraham's answer is, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the written revelation of God. The rich man responds to Abraham and he says, no, 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 no. No, 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 that, no that's, that's not enough. They're, they're never going to be persuaded by that. They're, they're, but if they saw somebody raised from the dead, then surely they would believe. And then Abraham, very similar to what, to what Jesus is doing here, he exposes the truth. He says, 
If they will not receive that witness from Moses and the prophets, those Old Testament scriptures that they had, if they will not receive that witness, then neither will they believe, even if one rose from the dead. It's the very same way that it is with these Pharisees here. They, they, they would not believe. Jesus could have um, done any number of, of, of things, um, but they would not have believed. And once again, Jesus, we've noticed in this section how he just keeps coming back to this issue of repentance. It's, it's, it's the issue that's just not going to go away. If we're, if we're talking about salvation, if we're talking about eternal life, if we're talking about the difference between heaven and hell, if we're talking about the difference between everlasting life in, in the kingdom with, with Jesus Christ and everlasting punishment um, in the lake of fire, if we're, if we're talking about that, then repentance is just not going to go away. It's going to keep turning up because it is essential. It is necessary. We have to change our mind about Jesus Christ to receive Him for who He is. Not what we would like Him to be. Not, not what we... You know, if, if, if Jesus was a little more like this, if He would, if, if he would be... If He would lighten up a little bit on, on some of these things that He says is sin, oh, I, I could really get along with Him just well. You know, we, we, could, we could be great pals. No. We have to receive Jesus as who he is. And everything that he says about our sins, we have to receive that to be true. We have to repent if we are.